Hello everybody, this is our fifth sermon looking at the book Song of Songs. Today we're looking at the section that begins in verse 4 of chapter 6 and goes through to verse 4 of chapter 8. And the title of this sermon is Romance and Praise. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created humankind. In his own image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the beginning, God created the institution of marriage. A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. In Genesis 2, where this union is first recorded, it then goes on to say that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. From that one verse, we discover two very important things about this union of marriage that God has created. Marriage is both an emotional and a sexual union. Over the past four weeks, we have seen the emotional union of the couple in Song of Songs. At every stage, we've seen very human anxieties relieved by the security of faithful love. In week one, the woman feared not being good enough to attract the attention of the man she had fallen for. She was worried that her skin was too dark and her appearance too dishevelled for him to give her second thought. But those fears were relieved when he put his arm around her, lifted her head and was proud to be seen with her in public. In week two, the woman realised just how deeply connected she was to her lover. Through the long, lonely nights of their engagement, she yearned for his presence. She just could not bear being apart from him any longer. And of course, these fears were relieved when their marriage actually took place. After her experiences, she knew that once she had her man, she would never let go of him. Last week, we saw the woman again wrestling with anxieties through the middle of the night. In the early days of marriage, as everything was changing around her, she worried whether she'd done the right thing. But through her dream, she came to realise that her life was now utterly suffused with that of her man. She just would not be without him. All of this has demonstrated the emotional union of marriage. Spouses are bound together at a deep, guttural level. If our spouse suffers, we suffer. If they rejoice, we rejoice. Separation from our spouse for too long brings us pain. Coming together brings us great pleasure. It is this emotional union that means we feel secure with our lover. We know no shame in their presence. For we know that they know everything about us, our strengths and our weaknesses, and love us completely all the same. This emotional union is then very important. Yet in Song of Songs, we've also seen the second foundation of the marriage union, sex. We live in a strange world. In society, sex has been so downgraded, it's become an easily accessed commodity that can be demanded or paid for in the moment we want it. Yet in church, we're too polite to ever talk about it. Sex is a taboo subject, even though it was God that invented it. 
Song of Songs has challenged both these extremes. Sex is part of the beauty of marriage. In the complete giving of husband and wife to each other, they experience incredible delight. This physical intimacy should be celebrated and protected. It's part of the glue that holds a couple together. If a married couple's sex life is good, that feeds in benefits to every other area of their relationship, binding them closer and closer to one another in the process. So here are two foundations of marriage. It is an emotional union and unashamedly it is a sexual union. But there is a third foundation that is pivotal for marriage in addition to these two. The wisdom of Song of Songs wants to teach us that God designed marriage also to be a romantic union. When we as Christians start to talk about romance, we need to recognise that again we face challenges born in the attitudes of our society. First of all, society is increasingly cynical about marriage. Many people really believe that romance dies the second you put a ring on your spouse's finger. So as soon as they return from their honeymoon, they stop bothering to try. But perhaps even worse than that, we live in a world where romance has almost been completely removed from the dating process itself. So many couples did not bother with romance even before they got married. Romance has been lost in the modern rush towards sex. A recent survey showed that 50% of couples now have sex on their first date. 10% of couples have sex even before their first date. And on average, couples have had intimate sexual relations by just the third week of their relationship. Yet at the same time, this survey showed that those who have sex earlier in their relationship are less satisfied with their relationship overall. The crazy thing is no one seems to stop, put those two statistics together and ask the question, why? Song of Songs, a book of poetic wisdom written more than 2,000 years ago, has the answer. The reason this modern day approach to relationships is less satisfying is because we have lost the sense that the true union between man and woman is supposed to be romantic. It's not supposed to just be about sex, pleasurable though that is. It is supposed to be about the journey. In the fifth part of Song of Songs, which we look at today, a part that the song deliberately includes after the marriage has taken place, we discover the secret of how to keep romance alive in a relationship. It involves the combination of three things. Appreciation, anticipation and affection. Let's now look at each one in turn. Our passage begins in chapter 6 with the showing of appreciation. Do you remember from last week how the woman has been having nightmares? She's a little anxious in these early days of marriage. Everything has changed for her. She's left mum and dad. She's left the familiarity of home. There's much uncertainty to her new routines. Consequently, she's been wobbling a bit. Understandable fears have been rising to the surface. Well, now he knows about them, her lover has opportunity to respond to her needs 
and he does so by expressing appreciation. In these verses, he praises her for her beauty. It quickly becomes clear that he sees her with the unique commitment of heartfelt love. She is more beautiful to him than any other woman in the world and from any other background. Even 60 queens would not compare to her in his eyes. Notice this praise that he gives her is not sexual, rather it's emotional. He is expressing heartfelt feelings rather than raising hormones. And we know this because this praise of his wife is public, not merely private. In this passage, the couple's friends are present again, and they act as a kind of sounding board to encourage this expression of appreciation. Undoubtedly, this expression of beauty does go on to fuel his desires for her. We see that in verse 11 and 12. It's almost as if he reminds himself of how fortunate he is to be with her. But primarily, this praise is given for her benefit. That is why the friends call the young wife to come back and listen to the appreciation that is being given. They know it will help and encourage her. Spouses then really do need to take the time and effort to find the beauty in their lover and tell them about it. We shouldn't wait for them to start looking for it. If Emily asked me the dreaded question, do I look good in this? I know I'm in trouble. There is no way of getting out of that situation without a row of some kind. Her searching for encouragement means that I've not shown enough appreciation of her in the previous days and weeks. And this giving of appreciation to our spouse is perhaps even more important today than it has ever been before. Our culture is so body judgmental, a problem stoked by the fashion industry and advertising and social media, And this judgmentalism in society raises insecurities in many of us. Being told by our spouse then that we are loved for the way we are is really important. For truly it doesn't matter what the world thinks of you if you know your spouse thinks you are beautiful. Spouses then need to make sure they notice their lovers and are heard to praise them. This should be both private and public. Men are often bad at this. Well, I am anyway. I often failed to notice if Emily's had a haircut or even dyed her hair. And I almost never speak of my feelings for her to others. Often the only thing I do is join in the male banter of men moaning about their wives. We need to remember that public appreciation of our spouse is a challenge to our self-gratifying culture and a great boost of their self-esteem. Regular appreciation is vital in building the romantic union of our marriages. The Song of Songs then moves on from appreciation to highlight another important dimension of romance. It is the building of anticipation. This section begins with the final verse of chapter 6, which is a minefield for Bible translators. There are two terms in it that we don't have much evidence for what they mean, and we're not even sure who says these words in the poem. Are they said by the man 
or the woman? This is the verse. Why would you gaze on the Shulamite as on the dance of the Mahanaim? I'm going to spare you all the various suggestions and go direct to what I think is the most plausible as it will help set up what is to come. I think this is the woman speaking. The word Shulamite is difficult, but the Hebrew root of it is the word Shalom, which we translate as peace or wholeness. The dance of the Mahanaim is again unclear, but the best guess is that it was a dance of the virgins carried out when they were looking for husbands at village festivities, a bit like a maypole dance in England. If you put all that together, what we have here is the young woman again expressing a little anxiety. She refers to herself as a whole woman, a completed, consummated woman, a married wife rather than a dancing virgin. And her question to her husband is this. Are your feelings for me as strong as they were when you watched me dance as a virgin? Now I am your wife. Do you still look at me in the same way as you did when we were courting? Emily has certainly asked me similar questions when the romance of our marriage has fallen to a low ebb. These anxieties are common in marriage. To test out the question, in chapter 7 verses 1 to 9, the woman starts to dance for her husband. She's probably wearing suggestive see-through veils or may even be naked, for he is treated to a full view of her beauty. Whichever is true, the impact of this dance is instantaneous. This is pretty hot stuff. And the husband is utterly captivated by her body. It is a feast for the eyes, her legs, her waist, her breasts, her face, her hair. But notice this dance is all about anticipation, not consummation. She's not rushing him into bed. She's letting him drink in her beauty. It's a well-known fact that men are aroused by what is visual. They appreciate delayed gratification. Men respond hugely to seduction. And here in the Song of Songs is this wife romantically seducing her husband by dancing before him. This build-up of anticipation then leads back to more appreciation. The husband begins to wonder at every detail of her. He cherishes her, praises her, tells her of her beauty. He truly notices her, everything about her. If men respond to seduction, women respond to positive appreciation. They long to be noticed by their lovers. Wives then need to keep trying to seduce their husbands throughout their marriages and husbands need to keep telling their wives what they find beautiful about them. The wisdom that the Song of Songs has to pass on is that the secret of romance is to keep expressing your love through that which your spouse appreciates and to keep surprising them with it. Romance is about cultivating the anticipation of appreciation. Romance is not supposed to die when we get married, but it does become harder. And the reason for that is this surprise element. When we're first dating, it's easy to surprise our lovers because they don't know us all that well yet. But when we are married, our spouses often know what we're going to do even before we do it. 
we have to then make the effort to keep romance alive just as this woman made the effort to dance naked before her husband, even though initially it made her a little anxious. How do we build this anticipation today? Well, we could buy flowers for no other reason than just to please our spouse. We could send a text in the middle of the day simply to say we're thinking about them. We can even make that text flirty and suggestive if we like. Why not? Romance does not need to be expensive but it does require effort. As the poem goes on in verses 9 to 13 of chapter 7, we get another suggestion on how to keep the anticipation aspect of romance alive in a flagging marriage. Here in these verses, the wife suggests that the couple go back to the countryside in spring. She wants to return to the scene of their betrothal and at the same time of year. This is classic romance. Couples going back to where they started going out, where they got engaged, where they had their honeymoon. Many of us have done that at some point. When they get there to the countryside, she's then going to lay on a special meal for him, just as they had on their wedding day. The menu will include mandrakes, the oysters of their day, a well-known aphrodisiac. What we have been describing here then is almost a second honeymoon. It's certainly a weekend away, an extended date night just for the two of them. It is a reminder that even if we're a couple with young children, we shouldn't be afraid to get some babysitters in so we can have an intimate night together. These special moments that we anticipate and look forward to build romance into our marriage. And that makes our union all the stronger as well as bringing us a lot of pleasure. So this part of the song has touched on appreciation and anticipation in building romance into marriage. The section concludes in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 8 with the mention of affection. Romance will always require the ongoing expression of gentle affection. This young couple in our story faced a challenge In their culture, it was not the done thing for a husband and wife to be affectionate towards one another in public. That is why in verse 1, she wishes her husband was her brother, because then she could kiss him in public and no one would bat an eyelid. Obviously, she does not really mean that. It's a giddy expression, but we get the point. However, in verse 3, the man does find ways to express the affection that his wife is looking for. He puts his arms round her, holds her and lifts up her head, just as he did when they were drawing close to one another in chapter 2. The wisdom of this section of the song for us today is obvious. We need to remain affectionate towards one another in our marriages if we want to maintain a strong romantic union. In fact, Song of Songs seems to indicate that we need to express romantic affection for each other for at least the same amount of time, if not more, than the time we spend in sexual intimacy. And it's so easy for us to slide on this regard. Emily and I certainly have at times. But we must not give up on hugs, kisses, holding hands and just sitting in each other's arms. Remember, Song of Songs is in the Bible. It's there for a reason. God is trying to guide us to getting the best from our marriages and he should know how to do that because he invented it. 
God really does want our marriages to be an emotional, sexual and romantic union. What is interesting is that this fifth section of the song then finishes with the words of warning that we've heard twice before in chapters 2 and 3. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Previously, those words were a warning about premature sexual expression before marriage. But now the couple are married, they must be taken slightly differently. What this verse tells us is that these three dimensions of romance, appreciation, anticipation and affection, are intense and sometimes almost uncontrollable. We should not mess around with romance, for it is dynamite. The love between husband and wife is the most powerful expression of love we will experience before the day when we see God face to face. We must not dilute it, damage it, or diminish it. Instead, we must cherish it and protect it. For if we do, our marriages will not just fizzle out, as the cynics suggest, but get better and better and better. And in that way, our marriages will form a stronger witness to the onlooking world of how God loves us. This week, rather than explaining all the poetry and then making a second step to draw wisdom from it, I've combined the two together. It seemed more logical as I was preparing. I hope there's been something here for all married couples to encourage us to keep the romance alive. But I do want to briefly finish, as we have throughout this series, by drawing on one key theme which we can take away whether we are married or not. For we all have a relationship with God that needs working on. Cultivating romance unquestionably demands effort. It requires a couple to make time for one another and to actively communicate praise and affection. God has taken the time to communicate his affection for us. The scriptures are like his love letter to us. One verse in Zephaniah 3 even tells us that God delights in us so much he rejoices over us with singing. But I wonder, do we take the time to reciprocate that? How often do we make the time to praise and adore God? How often do we tell him that his works are wonderful and that his character is beautiful? How often do we just reel off our appreciation, giving thanks for all the things he has done for us? Most of us spend the majority of our prayers just asking for things. If we did that in our marriages, they would soon fall apart. Okay, we do not romance God. We're talking about something very different here. We're to approach God with awe and humility, but we are to give him our praises. The wonderful thing is, if we make the effort to praise God regularly, in private and in public, our relationship with him will grow much deeper and we will develop as his people. Prayer and praise, communicating our appreciation of God, is a key discipline in the life of a believer and one we will benefit from spending more time on. May that be an encouragement to us all.